Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field, like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about the 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team and top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.fm, and let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today we have Zach Naylor of Aurelius. Zach is a founder and CEO of AureliusLab.com, a SaaS that will help you tag, group, organize, and search every research note and customer insight so you can build great products. Zach is going to discuss with us how he came up with the idea, funded his MVP, and found his first few customers to get where he is today. How are you today, Zach? Doing just fine. Thanks. Great. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about who you are and uh, specifically what Aurelius does for your customers. Sure. So my name is Zach Naylor. I am the co-founder and CEO at Aurelius. Aurelius is, as you mentioned, a SaaS product. So, you know, what we really do is we're focused on UX researchers, market research, product people, and uh, we're often described as a research repository and analysis tool. So, you know, when you come to Aurelius, what you can do is it's an all-in-one space to capture all of those notes, feedback, and data you get from customers and calls and usability testing and things like that. We help you analyze it, turn it into key insights, and then it's a single place you can search, share, and reuse all of that. Okay, I'm a little fuzzy on on research. What do you mean with research? Are you talking about like people doing research on their building their SaaS products? Yeah, so with your customers, right? If you're uh, if you've got an existing product or if you're trying to develop a new product, you're likely doing customers or jobs to be done interviews and that kind of thing with uh, okay. customers perspective. So people customers. are taking notes like during calls and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you know, the big pain point that it really solves, especially with teams of people doing research, is eventually somebody comes along and says, hey, can you get me all the research we did about X, Y, and Z? And as soon as you hear that question, I can even see you thinking about it right now. It's like, well, where does yeah. that live? It's in Google Docs yeah, and spreadsheets right. and everywhere. Like, yeah, all over the place, I imagine. And yeah. so we help especially solve that. Especially as you mentioned with teams. Okay, so, so that makes sense. Um, so it sounds like something... Is this for sort of established SaaS that are looking for new product feedback? Or is this like, who is your primary customer? Yeah, we do really well with UX research teams at medium-sized businesses and up. Okay, you are, okay. so, so they're, for example, they're rolling out a new product, but they probably already have a bunch of traffic. That's sort of... Yeah, I mean, we have customers that are um, very large enterprises, certain uh, that you've heard of them and probably do business with them today. And so, mm -hmm. you know, those those folks have teams of people who are doing research with their customers all the time on various different products and departments. Okay. And so they're using Aurelius to kind of really get all of that in one place and get a lot more mileage out of it. Okay, that totally makes sense. 
Uh, okay, great. So let's um, start. Let's wind back a little bit. And uh, why don't you start off with your background? Just give me a quick rundown of like how you got to become the founder uh, of this product. What were you, did you have another job or how did you sort of spin off into Relius? Yeah. So my background is actually in UX research and product strategy. So there's no real surprise there to hear then, right, that our company is about that. Uh, that's what I that's what I did and spent uh, more than 15 years working in that industry. Now, how, you know, how Aurelius kind of came to be was I was working at a consultancy actually with my co-founder. He was just my friend at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd work on projects together. So people would hire us to build new SaaS, you know, not unlike uh, it sounds like your business as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I realized was you can you can teach just about anybody to design something or to make something. It's teaching people how to make the right thing is a lot harder, right? Subtle difference in language there, but uh, makes uh, makes all the difference in the world on what you end up doing. And I realized that the thing you sort of, you know, quote unquote, the tool we used to do that was research. It was customer research. It helps mm-hmm. bring clarity to decision making, prioritization, all of that stuff. And so, you know, at the time, of course, there was nothing like this. And so we thought there's got to be a way we can build a tool to do that. And I just on it kind of started working on the idea on my own and, uh, one night had my co-founder Joseph over. Uh, we were having a few cocktails in my basement, actually. And mm-hmm. I told him about this idea I was kicking around. He said, I want to do this with you. I want to I want to partner with you on this and let's we should build this. And so we did. And uh, yeah, how that started, we were 100% bootstrapped for about five years. Yeah, we were working a full-time so, job. So this is like a side hustle for you. You were, um, who was developing it? Is your, is your uh, uh, co-founder a developer? Yes. Yeah, so our co-founder, Joseph, is CTO. He's full stack dev. He's awesome. Okay, great. And you're the designer. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Now you're, now you're sort of wearing many hats. Everything, yeah. Sales and marketing. That's right, bootstrapped. Okay, um, and so was there any conflict for your... I mean, how did it work with your employers, you know, because um, they're obviously probably could become a, a customer. They could be someone that could be very interested in this. Um, how did how did that uh, play out? It's actually interesting you bring that up. So uh, I had worked a couple uh, different jobs throughout the course of us bootstrapping that. But um, in a lot of ways, there was no with conflict. The same, with the same company. Is it a consult? It's, a con- it's like an agency, basically. That I was working with? Yeah. Uh, no, I was working at in-house teams. Uh, other okay. basically, they were in one case it was another SaaS company, and then another it was uh, a local company here to where I'm at in, in Minneapolis. But th- there wasn't a whole lot of conflict because I was waking up at four in the morning uh, to work on Aurelius before going into work, and so then there, you know, okay. there wasn't really a conflict with that yeah. so much. But uh, it's funny you bring up the whole uh, concept that they could become a customer because the second job I had sort of started. Uh, while working on a release on the side, actually eventually did become a customer. <laughs> so oh, it was a really? weird, yeah, it was it was an interesting relationship. And, and uh, I would like to say I take pride in having kept that really objective. Yeah, so that was that was interesting how that worked because, of course, I was working on a, a UX and research team. And they knew that I did this. And the funny thing was, is I actually kind of started that job because they found Aurelius first and then they became interested in me. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah, so that happened for a while. Listed. So you were an employee, they were looking at Aurelius as a tool, and then they said, in the about, they saw, hey, here's here's uh, Zach, um, you know, what's going on here, Zach? Well, it actually, so it wasn't it wasn't quite one-to-one in that way. They found Aurelius and were interested in the tool, and then uh, because I've worked in the industry for so long, I know uh-huh. a, lot of, a lot of the folks here in Minneapolis where I'm at, 
And, and um, a former colleague of mine recommended, uh, she was working on this team and said, you know, you should talk to Zach about this. And then <laughs> the guy who eventually hired me made the connection and said, this is the same person I've been inter- or, uh, emailing uh, about yeah. this other tool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was really interesting how that worked. Okay, that's good. And so, and so what sort of time frame was this? Uh, like, when did you leave your, the job, like your full-time paying job to go, to go full-time on this? About a year ago. Yeah. About a year ago, okay. Yeah. So right as COVID was happening, is yeah, that sort of yeah, that's right, that's right. And we were, you know, we were bootstrapping this all the way up to that point. So everything was early mornings. I'd meet with my co-founder three times a week at six a.m. before we would both go to work, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously, you know, after work, late night hours, that kind of thing, and just building mm-hmm. it up. And we were on, we were on great track. And then COVID hit, and everything kind of went upside down. But um, we were both laid off from our jobs, and we said, well, you know. We should just Perfect do this full time anyway, yeah. yeah, because uh because this is what we wanted to do and now it's basically forcing the focus and uh it's really been uh it was a blessing in dis- uh, in disguise, right? Because I mean COVID was right, terrible right. and everything that happened and that was difficult, yeah. but uh yeah, we were so much better off for it. Yeah, of course it is sort of a, it maybe for lack of other opportunities you really were forced to, to take this more seriously. do you remember what MRR you were at when when you left your you full-time know, job and COVID started? I don't recall specifically. I mean, about, was it enough for you to live off of? You know, we were getting close. That's, yeah, that's a really good question. We were getting close. We had agreed that if we, we had a number in mind and we said, if we can get at least six months of runway where we can pay ourselves this, we'll feel good to do it. And we were getting very close to that. And I think that's what made the whole like getting laid off and COVID thing a little easier is because we said, well, look, we're already kind of getting there. Imagine if we just were forced to work on this full time now. Anyway, we can just get there faster. And so we really did. I don't remember the, the specifics of it, though. I'd have to go back and check. That's fine. Uh, what do you think that you needed to survive uh, about? I'm just trying to reference this for other listeners or like, you know, I'm trying to start my own SAS. What do you think that you would need to sort of survive from your experience? Oh, geez, that's such a good question. I think it's so dependent on where you live and your situation. Uh, in my case, you know, I have a family, a house, I got two kids. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like uh, a lot. Well, you know, yeah. I think I think the issue I think the thing is, is a lot of people believe they need more than they actually think they do. Uh-huh. And so sometimes they're not really willing to make that sacrifice, which is, you know, that's fine. That's a personal choice. But we took a pretty hard look at it. And we basically uh, Joseph and I were making similar Similar salaries, like in our day jobs, and we said, "Well, look, mm-hmm. if we if we can make about, oh, geez, I'm trying to think back to the exact numbers here. If we can make about sixty percent of that, we would actually be fine. And that's not yeah. something we wanted to do long term. Of course, we didn't want right, to just you know. Right. But uh, you saw there was upside. You saw there was. Well, upside. yeah, of course. I mean, so yeah. we said if we can get at least six months of runway to pay ourselves that, we're going to be completely fine. Everybody's going to be secure. Our families are going to be you know happy, healthy, uh, and then let's really put the pedal down on this thing." So when you say six months of runway, is that that the SAS had made that or that you had saved that from your day job? Oh, no. Yeah. So we were completely bootstrap. up. We weren't, uh, we didn't have like savings or anything like that. Everything uh, okay. came from customer growth. So what that meant was we had enough revenue sort of just banked up for six months to be able to pay us guaranteed uh, because then, you know, the idea was we'll be working on it. Full time, full time anyway. Six months. Exactly. Yeah. You just continue it's to grow. Six it. months you figured you might be able to get up to where you were at when you left your day job. Oh no, it was or having it was percent. having six months in the bank. 
for That's each of us. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, it That's was like, good. but that, but you know, it was a necessity uh, being bootstrapped. Yeah. We didn't have uh, any other kind of income stream. We didn't have a rich uncle. Uh, we didn't have some secret investor yeah. that you know people don't talk about or whatever. Uh, it really was completely customer growth driven, and so uh, yeah, when we agreed that uh, that, that was going to happen, uh, we just worked towards that number and we got there. That's great. Okay, so thanks to COVID, you you left and you went full time. How was that when you first, when you, was it a bit scary or was it exciting? Yeah, I'd definitely say a mixture of both. You know, I don't think, I'm not the kind of person that ever really got super nervous about layoffs or anything like that because yeah. I've just, you know, I've always been the kind of person that looks at things as much as I can glass half full where, Hey, look, mm. if you get laid off from a job, you find another one, hopefully a better one. In right. this particular situation, it was a little different, right? Because you're in the middle of a global pandemic. You don't know. You can't yeah. be you can't be certain of getting anything, um, number one. That's right. And then on top of that, you know, you're you're building a business, which you also can't be certain of. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there was some nervousness and a little bit of like, uh-oh. But a, a lot of that was very quickly overtaken by excitement because this is exactly what we wanted to do. It just mm -hmm. sort of forced the acceleration of that, which was kind of cool. Yeah. I want to go back into the MVP a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that your co-founder was a developer. How did you guys structure the company, if you don't mind me asking? Was it, was it sort of like, is it like vested over a certain amount of time? Or did you start at 50-50? How do you do that because i presume in the beginning he's going to be doing more work than you are but maybe that's not the case yeah i would say it was very much equal work <laughs> it <laughs> and, was, it, and exactly. it kind of always has been yeah. yeah uh no and that's uh that's one of the reasons why i i love him so much uh we we very much are completely on equal grounds every and everything even legally speaking so yeah i mean we are an llc partnership we're 50 50 we always have been and I, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was, it was a big deal for me to, to partner with him and do this because yeah. I don't think it's the typical co-founder type story. I mean, he's one of my best friends, uh, and yeah. I know that that can cause problems uh, for founders, but he and I are just, uh, I don't I know, think alike. we're very, very much like, actually, it's funny. Um, he once described us as if, uh, if we were a Venn diagram, we're almost entirely overlapping except for a little sliver on the outside. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it sounds funny, but the thing is, is that really, really helps when you're running a business together. Because I usually tell people who are trying to start a business or they're asking me for advice of, you know, how do I get started and how do I find a partner? As I say, it's a lot like getting married. You're not backing out of this and there's a lot no, of shit you got to get through. I think it's accurate yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, I was really, I was really fortunate where I knew him for several years prior to this. Um, and he just very much thinks like I do. He has the same sort of morals and uh, guiding principles that I do. And that goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And so your partnership really has been, a, it's much longer than that year. Obviously, you guys have been friends for a long time, but you were building the MVP for four years, as you mentioned. During that time, were you guys setting up the company or was that a relatively easy, quick, easy process for you, setting up the company and... Yeah, so a little bit of a clarification on the timeline. We officially started the company at the end of 2015. So that was like actual legal uh, entity formation, that kind okay. of thing. We started working on the MVP, and that was about a year. We, we launched alpha, we'll call it, of our first product, you know, sometime maybe Q1, Q2 of 2016. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, we weren't building MVP sort of, no, sort of the entire time. Uh, I talked oh, about okay, this. Okay. I talked yeah. about this a bit on... Um, 
Rob Walling's podcast, Startups for the Rest of Us, uh, okay. we actually had redesigned and redeveloped our entire app platform three times. Uh, and so that first version was very much MVP. Uh, the second mm-hmm. ones we had paying you customers You totally on. scrapped it. Did you totally scrap three it? Three times. No, so why? What was the customer feedback or what was going on? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely some of that. Uh, and then uh, technology choices we made had to change. And so, you know, early on, we were really building a product strategy platform. And so it, I think we we were trying to be a little too ambitious with what we built. It was very cool for 10% of the people who found us. The other 90% mm-hmm. were like, I wish we could work that way, but we're not ready for that yet. And they were really interested in the research and insights piece that we did. So there, mm-hmm. you know, you start to see where this is going, where we say, okay, we need to pull that part of the app out, focus on it and, and really grow that. We did that. Uh, and then uh, technology matures and some, some things that we wanted to do, we couldn't move as fast as we wanted to, especially being mm-hmm. a bootstrap company, like mm-hmm. uh, time to development yeah, is such a developer. huge, yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't yeah. have the kind of resources that all of the venture backed uh, competitors have. And so uh, we ha- we decided to then redesign it uh, redevelop it again uh, in order to move faster, and that actually went out September of last year. And that's the version three. Version three came out last. So during this time when you're redeveloping, you you let's say you have what say you have say ten customers working on the alpha version. Do you just keep them working on alpha, and you work on then you build version two, and you bring them over? Like how is that, and how is that process? Was that you know, like convincing people to move to the new, the new version. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good question. And it's actually kind of funny because the original version, because it was trying to do a lot of different things and then it had a research and insights component to it. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually had paying customers on that. So no, it sort of moved out of alpha. We had paying customers on it and that was cool. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was we built the beta of, you know, quote unquote version two. And mm-hmm. what very quickly happened was even paying customers were using the beta of version two more than they were the paying product of version one. So that was a clear signal to us uh, that you know, we made the right call. Uh, we made mm-hmm. a better product and all of that stuff. So we just quickly sunset version one because uh, actually sooner okay, so than we it, thought because people were like, it yeah, we don't need it. And it wasn't difficult. It sounds like it wasn't difficult bringing people over. No, uh, not at all. It was, it was, <laughs> that was just it as we didn't anticipate it, but it kind of happened on its own uh, where the, okay. the product was just head and shoulders better at that point. And so, uh, yeah, it was pretty easy, pretty easy. And decision. how were you communicating with your customers at that time? Was, did you just do it? Like, did you get on the phone with them or what was, what was the, the process to get that feedback to know that you were, first of all, going in the wrong direction with the verse version and to get the, the, the features that you needed for subsequent feature uh, versions. Yeah. Okay. Well, so in terms of like product feedback and how people were using it and expectations and stuff, a lot of that was happening either in-person meetings when I could. So there were some folks here local to us that were using it. Uh, and I would meet them in person when I could, just cause that's always helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah. you know, of course, just to jump on a call, screen share, let's show me what you're doing and, and let's get some feedback. Okay. In terms, so you were very, you were very sort of involved in that. That was mostly you, not always, not your partner. Okay, yeah. Always. So you, you were getting the feedback. You were like diving in with screen shares and like how long, for example, would some of these calls go? Would they be like, like half an hour, or would some be like two hours? Uh, I think it would probably average an hour. You know, if it if it ended earlier, okay. if it went a little bit longer. But they're that they're was okay. they're like people that that are customers, so they're interested in telling you how to make your product better. Yeah, well, so I was doing that, and then I was also, you know, because I 
have been working in the the UX and research industry for a long time. I'm part of a lot of those communities. And some of these calls too, were just people who were interested in the problem we were solving. And I was curious, you know, would you be willing to jump on a call with me to talk about how you're doing this work and maybe hear a little bit more about what we're doing with Aurelius and you tell me whether or not it helps, you know, solve some of the pain points that we think we're solving for you. Okay. So they're almost half sales, uh, sort of a sales call as well, uh, because you're Sometimes. in like say some forum and you're saying, hey, uh, let, I want to hear about how you're doing, what's important to you, and then maybe show you um, how we're doing, how we're doing it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. So getting the first few customers, how was that process? Was that like, how did you get them? That's a really good question. You know, I don't recall exactly how we got them, but I'm pretty sure what had happened was, you know, these were folks that were in our beta interested in what we were doing. And then Mm -hmm. we said, okay, uh, we're going to start charging for this now. And uh, we had done a good enough job in the beta where they said, okay, we'll pay you for that. Okay. And what was, what were they willing to pay you? Oh my goodness, I don't remember our pricing back then. It was uh it was very different, but it wasn't a ton. I mean, I want to say between 29 49 bucks. I think per project is how we initially started it. Uh and then we okay. eventually so changed each that research project was depending on the what did you charge by team members or something like that access to it? No, or? we never we've never done by uh by user by team member. Okay. So it was 29 or 49. What's the pricing now? Pricing is a lot different now. We've got three plans, and so uh, the we have pro, premium, and enterprise plans. The pro and premium plans you can do month to month, or you can do yearly. We give you a discount if you do yearly up front. Each plan, because it's unlimited users, you know, we is based on different features and functionality. And so mm-hmm. the the pro plan is seventy nine bucks a month, or I want to say something like five eighty eight per year. Again, you get a dis- You basically get a month for free. Um, right. okay. premium plan is two fifty nine a month right now, or okay. twenty three eighty eight per year. And then enterprise plans completely dependent on, uh, what some of the needs of the companies are. So we have folks that come to us that need uh, certain HIPAA compliance or to sign a BAA or want to redline our terms. So there's all kinds of stuff and variable that goes into that, uh, okay. with the enterprise plans. And those can vary just based on customer needs. And so, and so essentially you're, you, somebody's like, comes to you and they say, I, I want to be an enterprise customer. Probably they're already an existing customer and they come to you and they say, I need you. To, I need this feature. And you say, okay, we can do that if you go to our, our enterprise plan. Is that right? Uh, no, not at all. So we don't, we don't do custom development for enterprise uh, features. We don't really work that okay. way. And in fact, a lot of the times what actually happens is folks come to us and they sort of self-identify that they're an enterprise okay. And so they'll come in and say, yeah, we need, you know, these features that are in the enterprise plan. And we also need these additional services and stuff like that. And so then we just, uh, we handle that appropriately. So how is that not a customization? Well, because we're not actually building things for them in the product, right? Like uh, it's not a, so I know that some software companies have or, or still do perhaps say, we'll build this feature for you if you sign up for enterprise. Uh, We don't do that. Our roadmap is completely driven by what we learn from customers. We don't. Uh, okay. We don't do like custom development for uh, for stuff in Rayless just for signing okay. up an enterprise. But I'm just trying to figure out the pricing then, but because if you don't list it, and so how do you price that? Is it um, do you sort of 
Is it arbitrary or is there like a, a you know, is there a formula that you follow? Yeah, so we have a couple different levels that we've got, you know, like if you can if you want to come into the enterprise plan and let's say like you don't need any of the additional procurement or security and risk review kind of stuff like any of that mm-hmm. we have a range that we're willing to offer you just depending on your company size if okay. you need sort of the full suite of stuff we've got a pretty standard price uh mm-hmm. that we that we like, that we give folks and then beyond like that a thousand or something oh uh, it's a lot more than that <laughs> okay. it's a lot more than that okay. and then if uh there are certain situations too where again companies just have additional security needs or compliance needs and uh, because that just adds, you know, resource uh, and risk that we have to assume, we have to increase the price because of that. And so that's why we right. handle that differently. We try to be really upfront with folks when we're talking them through that. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we always give them like the full detail, like, hey, here's here's the price and here's why this is the way it is. And funny yeah. enough, I think that I don't think I know we have actually won enterprise deals uh, because of that, because we're so upfront and transparent about mm-hmm. it as we're walking th- folks through it. Good. And what's the breakdown on the different plans? Do you, do you recall? And like how many customers where? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know our pro plan is really popular for more like freelancers and agencies and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Surprisingly, we don't have as many of those. So most of our customers are in premium or enterprise. And over the last year, let's just say that, we've been mm-hmm. growing almost exclusively in enterprise. Really? Yeah. That's what, what do you think that it? What do you think it is? I've thought about this. It's a good is question. The marketing? Is it the marketing that you're doing? Or definitely not. So, because we actually, <laughs> the funniest part about this is when Joseph and I started this company, we we sort of started by saying we don't want to build an enterprise software company, <laughs> and yet here we are. That's mm-hmm. basically exactly what we yeah. are, uh, through no uh, hard intention. I think mm-hmm. m- my impression of it is that. Enterprise companies have this problem, and because of their scale, they're running into the pain faster, right, uh, than than some other customers. And so then they're looking for a solution like ours sooner than others. It makes sense because they have bigger teams, exactly. and they're doing, they have big product lines, and they're doing a lot of research. That makes sense. Has your views on on uh, serving enterprise customers changed since you've been? Um, oh, completely. Becoming, yeah. So you're okay with it now? Yeah, completely. I mean, I think. Especially, you know, as when you're building a, a new company or you're building a new product, and you and you get one of those first maybe enterprise requests, it's uh, it's a lot of work. It could be daunting. There's a there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, I think because um, you know, for lack of a better term, our, it sort of forced our hand. We had to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. What that also meant is we got really good at it. So we know we know exactly yeah. how to bring people on. And I work with I still do all of that myself, you know. And so I work with these. UX and research teams, and they have to work through procurement every once in a while, where I'm doing it almost all the time, on a daily basis. And they're like, sorry, we got all this stuff. And I'm like, no worries. You're probably going to ask me for this. You're going to need me to fill out this. You're going to need me to sign this. Here's how we do that. And then they're like, oh, wow, that's great. You already know the process. I'm like, yeah, we do. Yeah, just just uh, send it off to us, and we'll take care of it for you. Yeah, that's great. So so what what t- let's talk about the, uh, the growth. You were sort of organically growing it sounds like up until uh, you went full-time is that right was were you doing I mean was it word of mouth or were you doing some were you seeing a lot of local people in Minneapolis coming to you or what was this sort of growth early on yeah definitely word of mouth and I you know funny enough I would say even still today because regardless of any kind of marketing efforts we put forward our industry Mm -hmm. is still very much trust-based you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you when you have this kind of problem, 
and you're looking for a way to solve it, the first thing you want to do is talk to somebody you trust and who you think does good work. And it's true in technology in general. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's still that. But yeah, you know, a lot of word of mouth. We did do, uh, we run our own podcast. And so I think that that helps a lot with brand and just sort of people recognizing who we are. I certainly have had, uh, it just happened yesterday in a couple demos where somebody was like, you know, I was looking for a tool like this and I thought I recognized your name and it's because they heard our podcast or they read one of our articles before. Oh, really? It's interesting. Yeah, so it was like very long tail in that case, not as uh, not as much like bottom of the funnel kind of marketing mm-hmm. content. Um, but that keeps us out there. That keeps momentum and people kind of, you know, thinking about us and, and keeping us in mind. And then, uh, yeah, on top of that, word of mouth, Google searches, that kind of thing, pretty standard stuff. Okay, so so, what's this? What was the thinking? Uh, not many, not many SaaS companies have podcasts. I think it's interesting that you do. How has a podcast been for you, in terms of like marketing? Do you or do you do you find it hard to quantify that because you can't really tell where they, if they learn found out about you from the podcast or you actually, uh, when you select your guests, are they potential um, uh, users? All good questions. Uh, the answer is none of the above. You know, so I don't. No. I don't try to quantify it. Uh, we okay. never started it to for it to be a marketing tactic. I do think it helps, uh, but I don't actually measure mm-hmm. it. You know, I do it because I love it. I do it because I'm from this industry, and of course, secondary is that it does help. Right? People people learn about us. They eventually discover our product and other stuff. Uh, so that is helpful. But no, I mean, we try to choose. Uh, we try to choose guests that we believe have something. Uh, the industry needs to hear, you know, and so yeah. they might be people who are authors, they might be other popular speakers, they might be people who nobody's ever heard of, but have some really great thoughts and ideas and things that we we just try to amplify and bring forward. Okay, that's great. It's great to hear. But it, it sounds to me like it's been a positive experience, something that you intend to keep doing mostly because you like doing it and probably because you're good at it. Right? <laughs> I, I have, I've been told that both of those are true. I would never say those about myself, uh, but I have yeah. been, I have been fortunate enough yet yeah, to, to hear that both of those, to hear both of those things from guests and listeners. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a podcaster and I, I do it this for the, some of the same reasons. It, it's because I like it and I, I feel like it's a good way for, my prospective users to find out more about who I am. Uh, is that you agree with that? Yeah, you know, and, and like part of it is too where I'm not, uh, while of course I'm building a SaaS company and I am doing design and research and strategy day to day, it's a lot more about running a business. And so then, you know, your job okay. changes and uh, my passion is still in UX and research. Mm-hmm. I still think this stuff matters a lot in companies. Yeah. And uh, it's my way of just kind of keeping that passion going and, and continuing to be able to contribute to that field outside of just Aurelius as a product. Okay. And some of the, um, some of the marketing that you're doing now, like what's been the primary channel of growth since, uh, COVID, um, since you, since you started going full time, like for example, how much content marketing are you doing? Yeah. You know, a little bit, not as much as I would like. I think we're going to get a little bit more into that here pretty soon. So it's a timely question. Because uh, we had done a good bit of that in the past and had some pretty good success with it, and then we just kind of died off because of how much product work we were doing. You know, there's only so much yeah. time in the day. Uh, so uh, interestingly, what's caused growth has been a lot of the same that I mentioned. It's been a lot of word of mouth. It's been a lot of Google word searches. Yeah, okay. I think because we've been around in a while, we do pretty well uh, SEO uh, on the SEO mm-hmm. front. Uh, there's some improvements I'd like to make there too, but generally speaking, people find us there. You know, it, it really is a combination of like. Hey, I'm looking to do this thing. 
what do you recommend? Mm-hmm. And then you hear maybe a handful of companies like ours that do it, and then you go and you search them. Uh, it's a pretty standard loop from what we're learning, and so that's how folks mm-hmm. are finding us. And people are asking this. Are they asking it in the, like the UI groups on like a Facebook? Do you kind of when you say word of mouth, is that sort of um, is that what you're talking about? And do you answer them? Do you actively go in the groups? Hey, I can help you out. Is that sort of what what you're doing? So it's really more social listening then. Is that right? Yeah, I definitely do a lot of that. Like I said, I try to stay active in the communities that uh, I grew up in, so to speak. But a lot of times, yeah. it's not even that. You know, sometimes it's just. Um, you've got a friend and maybe you were texting them or maybe you're doing yeah. a Zoom call with them and you go, you know, we're trying to figure this thing out. Do you know of anything? Uh, and sometimes, that, you yeah. know, we have no visibility to that whatsoever. And it's just, we're fortunate enough where have, where we've built a product where people are, uh, like it enough to recommend it to other people, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. D- during, um, during the time in COVID, was there, you know, when you were first getting going, was there a time that you were like, feeling like okay you know we've had our big break we're gonna make it we're gonna survive is there, <laughs> do you remember a specific moment or was it just sort of was it just sort of uh, just grinding down and saying you know you know still thinking maybe that you won't even today oh geez that's such a tough one to answer because it's like it's both yes and no you know i think mm-hmm. i think anybody who runs a business especially one that's bootstrapped if the, I think anybody who does that t- tells you, no, I don't ever think we're gonna, <laughs> we're ever gonna fail. I just think they're lying. Yeah. Either that, or they're just, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I feel, yeah. I feel like there's no way <laughs> you can see reality uh, because no matter how good yeah. you're doing, there's always risk, and uh, and there's always yeah. somebody. Yeah. You can get blindsided uh, by something exactly. I mean, no there, there, there yeah. could be an there could be another person like me who's willing, who is hungry enough to wake up at four a.m. and work on this before their day yeah. job, and we maybe we don't even know about them, you know. Um, so there's yeah. that. Um, I, you know, I definitely do recall the moment that I ran some of the numbers and I said, Hey, we're going to hit that six month runway, man. (laughs) And it was, uh, it was kind of surreal because we'd worked so hard for it for so long. And then we got there and all of a sudden you go, wow, that's really cool. But then at the same time, that sort of, I don't know if it's uncertainty, but that just, uh, that little bit of fear creeps in and you go, well, what happens after that? (laughs) Yeah. Right, I think it is. It is uncertain. Yeah, absolutely. It's really just the unknown, and that's the toughest yeah. thing. You know, I was talking again. I mentioned uh, Rob's podcast, but he's a, he's a friend of mine. I knew him for a while uh, before we joined Tiny Seed and sort of did the podcast and all that stuff. Oh, so you're in Tiny Seed? Uh, we yeah, we just got that, and so that was announced. Uh, let's see here. It's the twelfth, so last week. Yeah, last Tuesday was official okay. announcement. We we joined them, but you know, one of the things we were talking about, I think that he said pretty well is. Being an entrepreneur is just like constantly making decisions with incomplete information. Yeah. And that's where it I is, right? And uh, yeah. you just have to get comfortable with that. Because in a day job, you you take comfort in the fact of you're gathering information or somebody else, mm-hmm. maybe a whole another department is doing that, but it's all, it all comes down to you uh, as an entrepreneur and certainly as a, as a leader of a company. Yeah. Tell me about Tiny Seed. We had another guest, um, Jane Portman. Uh, do you know I Jane? I do know Jane, yeah. Yeah, she's she sounds like a great entrepreneur as well. She had very positive things to to say about Tiny Seed. I know Chris Gimmer is also an investor. He's been on the show as well for Snappa. Okay. Um, to tell me about um, a Tiny Seed, like how that experience has been. What made you go to look for them? What like what were you looking for at the time? 
Yeah. Okay. So really good questions. And as, as far as my experience with them, so far it's been limited because the program officially started May one. So we're you know twelve days into it. So you applied. I think the the application was in February, wasn't it? Or January or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like what were you looking? Is because you 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 said you're bootstrapped. You're looking for investment funds, or are you looking more for mentorship? We were actually looking more for the mentorship. The money is great, okay. um, but you know, here's what here's the way we looked at that. We said we don't want to get venture capital. It was just something that we didn't right. want to do. Uh, both Joseph yeah. and I have worked in. What? No, why? Yeah, happy to share that. So I've spent a lot of time in startups uh, well before I ever started Aurelius of all various mm. levels of funding, uh, some even backed by companies like Kleiner Perkins and stuff like that. And so I've mm. been a part of those companies and just kind of see how they develop. And uh, that's that's not the kind of company I want to build. And uh, Joseph felt the same way. And we've always been uh, pretty passionate Can you about be that. be more specific? <clears throat> yeah. What didn't you like about it? Well, do you, lo- do you like the the sort of investors breathing down your neck, loss of freedom? What what is the uh, what don't you like? All about of the it? above, and uh, and then some. You know, so we have always been really passionate about learning from the people we serve and building things that solve those problems. When you and get so you don't have you don't want to have sort of forced limitations on that. It's like oh, we don't care. We want growth, exactly. growth, growth, that sort of thing. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, I think what happens too is the culture of a company changes a lot when you have those sort of pressures and, um, and expectations. And, and, I, and I don't think it's always a bad thing, but it isn't something we wanted to compromise on. It also wasn't something that we wanted to compromise on in terms of having uh, as much influence over the company and the product in the direction as possible. That's uh, that's not why we decided to do this. We didn't get into it to just get rich. I um, mean, yeah, I'd certainly mm-hmm. like to learn and to earn a, a fair living, you know, doing this mm-hmm. um, and be and be compensated fairly for what we're doing. But you want to do it on your own. Terms. Absolutely. That was uh, that was yeah. always really really important for us. And so, uh, you know, we looked at Tiny Seed and we said, look, here's Rob, a guy I've known for a handful of years now, a guy I highly respect for having done what he's done as a bootstrapper, right? And yeah. saying for, for our listeners, he built Drip, right? He built yeah, Drip. He, built from, drip. he bootstrapped that and and sold it for twenty million or something like that, and and then started this Tiny C, which is uh, is is essentially uh, what it's an incubator, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, so it's a uh, it's an exclusive accelerator. It's completely remote, so you don't have to be physically co-located in any place. And they have handfuls and handfuls of amazing mentors who are also all bootstrappers in many cases or just you know mm-hmm. uh, sort of some... proven bootstrappers yeah like yeah i think that's a great qualifier yeah. proven bootstrappers these aren't people yeah. who are just kind of like well yeah we bootstrap too like these are all yeah. uh, pretty yeah, badass guys folks have been, yeah they've been yeah they're guys of fifty thousand at least mrr yeah yeah they're doing they're doing some pretty cool stuff for sure and so you know we thought wow, i would like to learn from those folks we the way I looked at it was this: we had our best growth year in the middle of a global pandemic and the most uncertainty and sh- uh, pressure pressure cooker stress that we can imagine. If we can make it through yeah. that, imagine the opportunity we've got with a little bit more resources and some additional sort of wind at our back. And we felt very strongly like the time is now. Let's really put the pedal down and uh, and yeah. do that. And so, yeah, Tiny Seed was a great fit because, uh, like I said, culturally their their perspective and sort of the kind of businesses they want to support, we really fit the bill for mm-hmm. that. And and how did you feel like the selection process was? Did you feel like it was pretty competitive? Was oh, yeah. it hard for you to get? Or uh, what were some of the qualifications that you needed to uh, get into the program? Yeah, you know, so I, they don't share all of their qualification criteria. They certainly talk about 
things that they look for because because they have a wheelhouse, right? You know, it, it's mostly uh, SaaS B two B. Of course, mm-hmm. it tends to be bootstrapped. If you have prior funding, like that's okay, but it, uh, I don't think that they go for. They that. prefer. I think so. Yeah, I think so. They yeah. they prefer to work with companies that have an extremely strong founding team that has really deep expertise in the area they're serving. So again, I've been working mm-hmm. in the field for 15 years, and yeah, uh, so that was a qualifier. So that was a t- check mark. I think so. The fact that you're 100% bootstrap check mark. Yeah, and then I, they um, do have certain they do have certain things that they look at where like you know what what's what's your MRR you know today and and how did that grow? And I think that we <laughs> again over the course of a pandemic year we had our best growth year, and so the uh, the numbers there made a lot of sense. And I think that for any investor, regardless if it's uh, a you know, tiny seed accelerator or venture capital, if you were to show somebody that you essentially grew 300% in the middle of a global pandemic year, that's a pretty good sign that you mm-hmm. built a decent business, right? And so yeah. I, I think a lot of those things come in, but they, I think that they really look for what's this founding team look like? Do they really know their industry? Have they demonstrated some kind of product market fit, which is always really elusive to put your arms around? But, uh, mm-hmm. but I think a combination of like customer count, MRR, things like that can be indicative of that. Yeah. And in terms, did you look at any other incubators or was Tiny Seed always the one for you? <clears throat> you know, Tiny Seed was always number one for me. We looked at a yeah. few others. Um, what are some of the Y Combinator? Actually, no. Uh, never applied to Y Combinator. Never really had a strong interest in going to Y Combinator. Uh, they were, Indie.VC was uh, interesting. Uh, there was another thing called the Weekend Fund that was interesting, but I think yeah. that, that was a lot more just sort of resources than it was mentorship. Right. That's the product hunt guy, right? That's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any, I mean, I, you don't have a ton of knowledge on your on experience, but is there any reason uh, for founders to not go with like a tiny seed? Like what are some of the drawbacks? I know they have this salary cap, right? Uh, they do, but it's quite high. And they actually just recently changed it for this year and made it even higher. So the salary cap for each founder is like 250K. Which is uh, okay, so it's not pretty like generous. A yeah, it's, yeah, uh, that's it's that's not... pretty generous, and so uh, yeah. that that is certainly not an issue. You know, I I think this all comes down to personal choice. But if uh, if you <laughs> if you don't want to give any percentage of your company, then you can't take investment. I mean, that's just the way it works, right? Like people don't give you money yeah. because out of the goodness of their heart, they're usually looking to make money right, out of that. Right. Um, the tiny seed terms for us were extremely. You can fair. get a note. You can get a note. But you'd have to pay it back. Yeah, so that's different. That's a loan, yeah. right? That's not like an yeah. investment. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to give any percentage of that up, uh, that's one thing. If you have already hit a significant MRR number and your business is growing and there's no signs of it really slowing down, and you've kind of mm-hmm. you know cracked that nut and you figured out all your marketing channels and maybe you have mentors today that you know you don't need mm-hmm. it any of that stuff, then I would say then yeah. perhaps you know don't. Don't don't go with something like Tiny Seed, but uh, there are really very few, very few reasons, reasons to, to not, not, in my yeah. opinion. Because, like I said, that really uh, unless you really sort of already made it, at which point maybe it's not necessary. Right. Okay. And uh, other founders, have you been able to do any networking yet with them? What's what's sort of the uh, what's the um, uh, the community like? community so far has been awesome like i said so a whole a week and a half in but uh mm-hmm. mentors are awesome everybody is really open really really helpful i mean we got into the tiny seed slack there's an exclusive slack channel for this of course and mm-hmm. uh right away just kind of had a couple things that i was working on wanted some advice from and had like 
anywhere between 15 and 20 answers from various folks of mm-hmm. all different cohorts. So it wasn't just the one we were in now, but even like uh, past founder cohorts and stuff like that. And even mm-hmm. Rob and A&R and like some of these really, really great people. And uh, mm-hmm. so it was just kind of immediately blown away of like how helpful people want to be. Everybody wants to see each other succeed in this. And so that's uh, that's a big deal yeah. for us. That's great. How about um, future growth? What are your plans for uh, blowing, you know, sort of building out the company? Definitely. Double or triple MRR. That's a lofty goal, but uh, we're actually already on track to do that, and I'm, so I'm pretty excited about that. In 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 what sort of time frame you're looking in this at next you're year. trying to do that in yeah, a year? Yeah, in this next okay. year for sure. In 2021, totally. okay. You're trying to triple, okay. Double or triple, yeah. Um, I think We're on track to double right now. I would actually like to aim for tripling it. Okay, that's great. And how are you doing that? Like, what's the what's the focus? Couple things. So, you know, number one, we've been launching a ton of product improvements, and so even in just in Q1 of 2021, we launched, I think it was like 13 new features or enhancements, which is a lot for such a small team. Uh, so we're really yeah. proud of that, and that's been helping because all the demos we do now are just like, wow, this is really impressive. I love this. This is all my problems, and those are great things to yeah. hear. You know, so that and continuing to double down on product, but then also. Uh, we're exploring some new marketing channels coming up here pretty quickly. We're actually working on a new marketing strategy in which we'll be going after some of that stuff, which will, uh, in my opinion, give us both shorter term and then long tail sort of growth throughout the remainder of the year. What are those marketing strategies? Well, you know, right away is clear stuff where it's like I say, we we see a lot of people go to Google, right? So there's some there's some short term wins you can get with that on Google. Sorry, what Google was search. Google. Oh, okay. Google. Okay. Yeah. Good. So SEO stuff. Yeah, SEO and then also even um, some paid ads and testing that stuff out because I think that there's some shorter-term gains you can get on that. Uh, there's the additional okay. um, thought leadership stuff that we will do. And then, um, you know, as things open back up, I might even I might even start trying to speak at more conferences and attend those again too because that's where a lot of these folks tend to hang out. Okay, good. So you've been, have you done, have you been a keynote speaker at some of these before? I have, yeah, I have. Uh, in 20... I think it was 2020 I had sort of the most and actually was even an international speaker for the first time ever. So that was cool. Uh, wouldn't okay. mind getting back to that, but it's, you know, we'll see, uh, either, either attending or actually speaking, I think just again, yeah. continue to be involved micro, in the community. Microconf. I'm actually been looking at microconf in Europe right now is, is, you know, a tentative for October. So I know if anyone's listening, that's a great event. And microconf is Rob Walling's uh, events as well. Those are really good for SAS. SAS stock, obviously, SAS yeah. Okay, well, that's very good, Zach. Oh, we're getting close to the end of uh, our agreed-upon time, so I want to thank you uh, very much for your time. Is there anything that you can leave our listeners with if they're sort of on the fence about any of the things that we spoke about, uh, you know, maybe leaving their job or any, any advice that you can give our listeners on starting a SAS? There's a lot of advice I could give. I would say if you're passionate about an idea and you believe you can make a business out of it, then start doing it. And you don't have to take huge, outrageous risks to do it. You know, yeah. be calculated, make smart decisions, do your research, no pun intended, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and uh, and just start building something. Start getting it out and getting feedback and seeing, you know, seeing what you can do with it. I think that's right. And And as you say, you know, if you have a day job, you can do it on the side and you don't have to get up at four in the morning to do it, but you know, you can still do it on the side. Yeah. 
chip away at yeah, it. You know, absolutely. I think pe people are surprised. You know, relentless forward motion on a project can really be pushed. Uh, you know, even an hour or two a day, you'd be surprised at how much you can get done in a in a month. Especially or two. if you get focused. Completely so, agree. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Good. How can people reach you if, if they're interested in finding out more about what you're up to? Sure. You can always find us and the podcast on our website. That's AureliusLab.com. You'll probably have a, a link in the show notes, I would imagine. I will definitely do that. Um, so, yeah, you can find us there. I'm just Zach Naylor on Twitter. So Z-A-C-K-N-A-Y-L-O-R. You can find me there. I'm not as active as I used to be because I'm busier these days. But, uh, you know, yeah. feel free to feel free to hit me up there or on LinkedIn. But once every couple of days, you're, you'll spend, you know, Two minutes and look to see if you've got it oh yeah no yeah yeah when people were yeah. uh, chatting with me i absolutely respond i just i don't yeah. keep up with the stream as uh, as much as i used to yeah no i agree it's uh counterproductive great thanks so much zach got it thank you thanks for listening to the big break software podcast with your host jordy wardman be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.